Okay, so we're still in James. Today we're going to look at chapter 2, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Um, and, and I want to just kind of remind us of some, of some big, big idea themes of James so far um, that he's communicated even just in the first chapter. And, and, and he, James basically develops uh, or, 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 or gives us all the themes of, of the letter in the first chapter, and then they're developed throughout the rest of the letter. So um, he's told us about God's pure and unchanging character. God is uh, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He's also helped us get this picture of what a double-minded man looks like. Okay, and this is a this is a prominent theme throughout the whole uh, letter. Um, and and he framed it up with uh, trying to get wisdom and understanding from God, and 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 believing in faith and not doubting, not being double-minded, so that you're not being tossed back and forth by the waves excuse me but then he's also set up the need for humility before god and wisdom from god we need to understand uh our world around us and and uh in our life and that comes from godly wisdom not worldly wisdom but in order to get that we have to humble ourselves uh, and receive that from god and then he's and then he talks about hearing and doing right faith and works and we'll, we'll see faith and works um that wording next week uh, as we move in further into chapter two, but, um, and then just the context that all of this comes in is, is this, this reminder that, that this is, he's writing to, to Jewish Christians predominantly, um, that have been dispersed, the dispersion that are, that are outside of the, you know, the, the boundaries of Jerusalem and, um, and they're undergoing persecution, but they're also, um, susceptible to worldly influences, particularly, um, wealth and, and poverty, and, and that's creating division among them too. And so it's um, and it's under those that context that um, that favoritism starts to show up. And so that's what what James is going to address here at the beginning of chapter two. And so today our our, our main idea, main thought is this: that that um, showing favoritism is incompatible with our faith in Christ because it's incompatible with God's character and it's incompatible with god's command so i want to read james chapter 2 1 through 13 and then pray and then we'll dig in james 2 1 through 13 my brothers and sisters do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious lord jesus christ for if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit on the floor, sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law, yet stumbles at one point, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. 
So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are being are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning. We thank you for uh, your word that uh, enlivens our hearts, that um, renews and refreshes our souls, that uh, illumines the beauty of Christ. And so we pray, Lord, that, that today as we hear James' command to his readers, that we as followers of Christ um, would be hearers of your word and receive it humbly this morning and, uh, and not be hearers only, but doers who obey uh, this command and, uh, and not show favoritism um, toward others, but to love our neighbor as ourselves. We love you, God, and we thank you for this time. And we pray that you would help us uh, to gain the wisdom that we need uh, from your word today so that we can live out uh, uh, its truths. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, the, the main idea is the command right here in, in verse one, the main idea of this, of this passage. Um, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, James gives this command in, in the negative. That doesn't mean it's a bad command. It just means um, he's telling them what not to do. Um, and, and compare that to the positive command in, in like uh, chapter 1, verse 19, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, right? So do this is the positive. Don't do this is the negative. Um, and he frames it up with this, this uh, endearing address, my brothers and sisters. 13 times in, in these five chapters of James, um, he, he will begin something with this phrase, my dear brothers and sisters, my, my brothers, my, my dear brothers, whatever. Um, at least 13 times he does that to emphasize uh, the, the point that he's going to, to say and to re, just to communicate this pastoral tone, this, this, um, this unity in Christ. These are brothers and sisters, people that Christ has died for that he's addressing here. And so even as he's calling them to these things, he's, he's modeling these things in, in the way he's talking to them and addressing them. So the emphasis here in this passage, again, is, is essentially don't be double-minded. Um, you can't be fully devoted to Jesus, but partial toward people. Uh, and then he illustrates this in, in verses two through four. <clears throat> Excuse me. For someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, favoritism, uh, that word there, the, he's, he's using that. It, the, the, it's, it's a Greek idiom um, that, that means to accept or to judge according to uh, face, according to the face. So it's this, it's this idea of external judgment or, um, or, or showing favor to be based on external things. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
So he's, he's referring to showing partiality towards some, some people over others based on their appearance or, or their status. And so then he gives this hypothetical um, of, of a rich and a poor person coming into a, a church gathering in their, presumably in their house churches. Um, so he says, suppose a rich person comes in with a gold ring. Now a gold ring is, is a symbol of an upper class Roman at that, in that um, time. And he says, fine clothes, right? So the picture here is, is this, um, this, this resplendency, this, this sparkly, shiny, brilliant, white, um, immaculately dressed person. So it, it's, it's almost this play on words with what he just said about the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. There's this, um, there's this divine glory that Jesus has. And, and James is, is um, showing the foolishness of elevating the, uh, this, this outward human glory uh, over or in the light of Christ's divine glory. And then he says a poor person comes in with filthy clothes. Now, this isn't ragged clothes, not necessarily torn clothes, but actually dirty clothes. And that actually, in that time, caused greater offense and, and avoidance. And so the person with um, the fine clothes that's dressed brilliantly gets uh, the good place, which is this place of, of, of stature. This, um, that here, sit here. This is, this is where important people sit, essentially. And then the person in the filthy clothes either has to stand probably in the back or uh, is told to sit where servants sit at the footstool, uh, at, at the feet of, of the person. And so then um, in verse four, James says that if you treat people this way, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In other words, aren't you revealing your double-mindedness, right? What's he, what has he already told us in chapter one? Let's just review for a second. Um, it's our own evil desires that, that uh, draw uh, us into temptation and lead us into sin. Um, and, and he's called his readers to rid themselves of all moral filth and evil and to humbly receive the implanted word. He's also reminded them that it's God's own choosing to give them birth by the word of truth. That's uh, verse 18, chapter 1. So James has already reminded his readers of their, of their spiritual filth, so to speak, and, and God's impartial grace. And here he's showing them the foolishness of withholding grace from others based on their physical filth or their appearance. So favoritism is incompatible with God's character. And this is what he develops in verses five through seven. So let's take a look at those. It says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Notice how he starts in verse five. What does he say? Listen. Listen, right? He's already instructed them uh, to be hearers uh, of the word and to be doers of the word. And now he's just told them what not to do. And so he wants them to understand why. He's given them the, the do part. And now he's giving them the hear part to understand. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love them? This doesn't mean 
that um, that that worldly poverty automatically gets someone into God's kingdom. Nor does it mean that worldly wealth automatically keeps someone out. James is the focus here is on God and, and His character and His choosing, which He told us in in chapter one verse eighteen. It's God's sovereign choice. It's by God's choosing that he gives life through the hearing of his word. Um, and it's not based on, on poverty or wealth in this world. It's the emphasis on God's choosing and doing so impartially. Job 34, 19 says, God is not partial to princes and does not favor the rich over the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. Paul makes a similar argument in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, he says, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something and so that no one may boast in his presence. Do you remember when James talked in, in chapter one about uh, let the poor man boast in, uh, in his humble status, um, in, in his humble circumstances, but the rich man boasts in his humiliation? Uh, it's a reminder here. It's not, it's not that the, the, the poor man in this world has more merit than the, the rich man in God's eyes. Because that, that's the false assumption that, that we can make when we think that the rich man has more merit than the, than, the, um, than the poor man in this world. The solution to that is not to just flip those and say the poor man is actually the one with merit. No, it's, it's God himself who has the merit to choose. It's God himself who has freely given his love and salvation to those that he has chosen. Um, his choosing of people and giving them the good place in his kingdom, this place of honor and, and, and stature, it's not based on worldly standards, but solely on his own goodness and grace. He's impartial in his choosing. But the poor in this world tend to be more ready to receive the implanted word, their humble circumstances, um, tend to tend to, to prepare their hearts and, and, and make them more readily receptive to the implanted word that saves them because they have nothing else to rely on, right? And, and the rich in this world tend to rely on their wealth. And so James, James already reminded, though, his readers that wealth perishes like a wilting flower. And so we need to remember that, too. Jesus himself said that the poor in spirit are blessed because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And he said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. James's question in verse 5 is a reminder to his readers that they are spiritually bankrupt. They were spiritually bankrupt, but God has given them the riches of his kingdom through faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith? What does he say in verse one? My brothers and sisters, don't show favoritism as you hold on to the faith. You've been given this faith, which means you were poor in spirit. You were poor in this world, and now God has made you rich in faith. 
and has given you the kingdom. He's, he's promised the kingdom to those who love them, not because they love him, but because he is love and he has lavished his love on them in the beloved son. Ephesians 1 talks about that. Anyone who understands and believes that what God has done for them through Jesus, you can't help but love God in return. This is a, a, a natural or a supernatural response to the supernatural work that God has done in you. You can't have uh, experienced and know God's love truly and not love God in return. And so James reminds his readers of the riches of God's love for them through this promise of the kingdom. Because God loves you, uh, you will love God. And those who love God also have this promise of the kingdom from God himself. And so then in verses six and seven, he shows them how their, their favoritism reveals a character that's incompatible with the impartial character of God. He says, yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? He says, it's the rich that oppress you. It's, it's this, this picture of tyranny, uh, uh, and it's related to, um, to the tyranny of, of the devil uh, in, in the book of Acts. I forgot to write that. Um, that uh, Acts 10, 38. Um, you can read that on, on your own time. I forgot to, to include that one in here. But, but it's, it's the same kind of language. It's that Jesus came to, to remove the tyranny of, of Satan. And, um, and it's this sort of, the same sort of language here, this oppression of the rich. It's, it's, it's satanic. It, it is, it's tyrannical. Um, they are pressing down on you. They're choking you out. Uh, they're the ones, the ones that you hold in high esteem. They're exploiting you. They're taking you to court to gain more from you than you have to give. And they're doing this to get more for themselves. They blaspheme God in the process. They dishonor and they slander the character and the reputation of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, the name that was invoked over you, James says. He's pointing them back to the beginning, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Again, revealing that the glory that they think these people have is nothing. It is, it's not glory compared to the Lord and what he's given them in the, in, uh, the kingdom. And then he says, and yet you dishonor the poor and you give favor to these people who dishonor you and who dishonor your Lord. What that ultimately reveals is that you are reflecting worldly values when you do that. Favoritism toward others is incompatible with God's character because God is impartial. He does not show favoritism. Favoritism is also incompatible with God's commands. Look at verses 8 through 13. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you're a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over 
judgment. Notice the language that James uses throughout this passage. He says, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He says that the, the, um, the, the poor in this world are heirs of the kingdom. He calls it the royal law. You notice how he's, he, he's, he's appealing uh, to, um, to their tendency, the, these evil desires to, to elevate the status of one person over another. And he's, he's saying, no, 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 keep looking up. Look up to God himself. See the glory of Christ himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who, who is the King of God's kingdom and see the beauty and the majesty of the law that God has given to us. Our King Jesus has commanded us to do, to do these things. This is not just James telling them what to do. This is God himself, the King and ruler of their hearts, giving them these commands. James is magnifying the high status of God in the life of a believer, just as much as um, when you experience and know God's love for you, you can't help but love him back. When you understand who God is and, and who you are and, and understand that, that he has loved you in spite of you and given you the grace that you so desperately need but cannot earn, that magnifies the Lord in the life of the believer. You cannot help but exalt the king who has rescued you from the dominion of darkness, transferred you into his kingdom, the kingdom of the son he loves. Jesus is the glorious king, and our, our king has commanded us as citizens of his kingdom to love our neighbor as, himself, as ourselves. Now, the royal law in verse 8 that James is talking about here comes from Leviticus 19.18. It says, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Just three verses before that in Leviticus 19.15. God's instruction says this. It says, do not act unjustly when deciding a case. In other words, don't show favoritism. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. That, that's a good reminder there because we, we, could, we could look at what James is saying here and, and say, um, it's favoritism when you, when you show favor to the, to the rich over the poor. And the knee-jerk reaction might be to overcompensate to the poor over the rich, but that's not what, what this royal law says here. Don't be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Loving your neighbor as yourself includes not showing favoritism. And this leads then to James's conclusion in verse nine. It says, if however you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as, transgression, as transgressors. If you show favoritism, James says, you're not fulfilling the royal law. You're disobeying God's command, and disobedience is what? It's sin, right? You've stained pure and undefiled religion, what he talked about at the end of chapter 1. You've stained it with the moral filth and the evil of the world that James in chapter 1 has called you to put off, to... to um, to, to rid yourselves of. Paul explains what it means to fulfill the law in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. He says this, Do not owe anyone anything except the love of one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Both Paul in Romans 13 and James here are listing some of the Ten Commandments specifically. Uh, and in the Ten Commandments, you have the, the, these two tables of the law. The, the, the first table is, uh, are the first four commandments, and they center around um, loving God. And, this, and this, the last six uh, commandments uh, are, are centered around loving your neighbor as yourself. This is why the two greatest commandments that Jesus says is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He's referring back to this moral law through the Ten Commandments that God has given us. And the summary of those things, the summary of what it means to love God and love neighbor is found in, in those things. And so Paul and James uh, lists these commands associated with loving the neighbor. The Ten Commandments are given by God. And, and before he gave them to his people, he reminded them of who he is um, in in. Exodus chapter 20, you see him give the Ten Commandments, and then again in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And both times he begins, uh, before he gives the law, he says this. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. See, God's commands are a reflection of God's character. They cannot be separated from each other. And that's why in, uh, uh, favoritism is incompatible with, with both. The, the sin of Adam and Eve is that they saw God's command as a negative, says do not, right? He gave it to them in the negative form. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge. And, and, uh, and they thought that they could have greater wisdom than what God had given them freely. Uh, and they, they, they separated God's character from his command. And, and that's, that's what the temptation of the serpent was. Did God really say? Is this really who God is? When we separate God's character from his commands, it's way easier for us to disobey the commands because we see them as, uh, uh, as something separate from a loving God. And that's just not true. God's law is grace. And God's grace is, includes his law. You cannot separate those things because they're both wrapped up in the nature of who God is. Uh, in verse 11, James, coming back to the, the passage here, he's, he, he doesn't say, for it says. What does he say? He says, for he who said. James is tying God's royal law to God's royal character and reminding his readers that if they violate the law of God, they also violate the character of God. This is why favoritism, if it's incompatible with God's character, it has to be incompatible with God's law. If it's incompatible with God's law, it has to be incompatible with God's character. Even if they don't commit adultery, but they do commit murder, they're still violating God's command because the individual commandments are summarized by this single command to love your neighbor as yourself. The spirit of the law is to love your neighbor. The fulfillment of it is to love your neighbor as yourself. So when you obey one commandment and not the other, you're showing partiality toward God's commands. You're favoring one command over the other. And that ultimately reveals a total disregard for the whole of God's law. James says, if you've broken one, you've broken all of them. You're a lawbreaker. Look at verse 12. 
He says, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. In other words, say and do what you hear as you look intently into the perfect law of freedom. He's used that phrase in chapter one, the perfect law of freedom, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom. Why is it the law of freedom? Because Christ has fulfilled it on our behalf through his perfect obedience to the Father. And it's no longer written on tablets of stone, but God has now written it on our hearts and put his spirit in us, not simply to help us obey his law, but so that we can love him and that we become free to obey him in Christ because of that love and through that love. As those who've, re who've received the implanted word through the gospel of truth, we're able then to persevere in obedience to it because we've been given a new nature and a new character that reflects God's nature and God's character. We've been given God himself through his spirit. Obedience is now freedom and not bondage because we love God and God loves his law. And so we then love what God loves. So we love God's law and we're free to obey it because Christ has fulfilled it on our behalf. First John 5, 3 through 4 says, For this is what the love for God is, to keep his commandments. And his commands are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. James says, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom because Christ has set you free to do what the royal law says. You have the obedience of Jesus. That doesn't mean that you can go on sinning. Paul says that. That's an abuse of God's grace. Instead, your, your love for God through the spirit that he's put in you gives you a desire to obey what God has told you to do because God, what God has told you to do is good. And it comes from a good God who is loving and who does not change. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Where did the law come from? It came down from God to us. And now it's fulfilled in Christ who also came down from the father. All these things are good things. And for the, for the Christian, for the one who's put their faith in Christ, the law is no longer uh, binding them or, or, or put them in bondage to their sin and convicted them of it. We've been set free through Christ's life, death, and resurrection to be obedient to God because we love God and because we're loved by God. So then James ends with a warning in verse 13 says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's echoing the words of Jesus here in Matthew 5, 7, in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Those who show no mercy toward others in this earthly life will be shown no mercy in the judgment to come. But those who have been set free by the law of freedom will show mercy now and they don't have to fear the judgment to come for them mercy triumphs over judgment this this um these acts of mercy that we that we say and do as followers of christ um they don't justify us before god jesus has justified us before god but these acts of mercy that we say and do as followers of christ will, will vindicate us from the world's judgment of us in the end 
and, and they, will, they will be um, proof to the world that we have known and loved God and obeyed him. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, James is, is giving these commands to people who are dispersed, who are in conflict, who are concerned about social status. Um, how do we take this then and, and put it in our, uh, apply it to our context? If we claim to hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism to others. It's the same command for us that it is for them. The reason why I, I, I don't uh, know and don't want to know who gives at Redeemer is this. Because I need to heed James's warnings and I, I need to understand that the evil desires that um, lay dormant in my own heart and are waiting for, for temptation to, to draw me out into sin. I don't want to be tempted to treat anyone uh, with favor based on whether they give or not or how much they give. So if you've ever handed me an envelope, I have not opened it. I've given it to Shannon. And she takes care of, of as our bookkeeper, she takes care of those deposits. I do not want to have any option to... Um, to treat or mistreat anyone based on uh, what they give to the church. When we show favoritism, oftentimes it's because um, we, we're making assumptions of something that we can get in return. When, 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 they're, when they're telling this rich man uh, who's dressed in fine clothes and wearing a gold ring to sit here at this place of honor, it's probably because they think that he's gonna make some donations or something like that. We have the same tendency. We look for advantage that we can get. And so we give advantage to others over that. And we have to guard against that. So you can trust and know that that will remain in place. I will not know who gives what and when. Uh, to the, to the, and I will do my absolute best to, to avoid that. Um, so if you have an envelope to give, uh, look for Shannon instead of me. I'll take it and give it to her if you can't find her, but I'd rather not. Now, James uses wealth as a hypothetical situation um, because it's pertinent to the readers in, in this, their current context, but he's not limiting favoritism here simply to that specific scenario. It's not just a view of wealth and status. It's, it's, it's this overall idea uh, of, of showing favor toward one over the other or over the other based on appearance or uh, an assumed status. And so what are some of the hot buttons in our, in our country right now, right? On the one hand, you have the pandemic and you have, um, you have those that, are, that have great wealth who um, aren't nearly as affected by it. Uh, yeah, they're inconvenienced because they have to stay home, but they stay, they're staying home in their five to 10,000 square foot mansion and and complaining about it right nobody has sympathy for that right meanwhile there's um i don't i don't even remember it's like some 40 million or something like that that are uh unemployed right now and so you have this this division of the protected so to speak the wealthy who feel maybe the the inconvenience but aren't devastated so much by this unless they actually get COVID itself 
and then then it's a reminder that even wealth can't save them from from that um but then the unprotected those that are in poverty those that are unemployed and then on top of that right when those that have been out of a job um are able to open back up what happens you have you have distinctions being made based on um, the color of someone's skin and then you have um, you have looting and rioting that destroys these these livelihoods for the people that just got to open them again our 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 country is broken right now it's been broken for a long time and this this idea of race um, you can have you can have yeah, you can have so many views of you know there's one race it's the human race you know all lives matter that this that's not the point the point is there are people made in god's image killing other people made in god's image and and it's been an ongoing thing uh for in in a in a system of justice supposed justice for a number of years and as followers of christ who've been called to listen be quick to listen both to God's word and to others around us. Be slow to speak in response to God's word and to others around us and, and be um, slow to anger. God's word's gonna frustrate you, but it's right and you're wrong, right? Uh, but also to be slow to anger toward others. And so we need to be careful that we're not jumping to conclusions one way or the other, but receiving the information that we need. But we also need to be, um, uh, to be guarding against being dismissive toward, um, toward one argument or another based on our perception of, of someone, whether it's because of the color of their skin or the uh, a status that they have. You know, we're, we're very quick to speak on behalf of the unborn and we should how often have we sat down and listened uh, to someone with black or brown skin and, and just listened to their story and their concerns and their fears and tried to understand and, and empathize with someone who is afraid to go out because they don't know if they'll return home. We can, we can sense some of that initially with the pandemic, but, but we would do well to listen well right now and not show favoritism one way or the other, but to love our neighbor as ourself. And that means to know them and to know their concerns, their fears, uh, their, their weaknesses, their sin, and relate to those things and, and point each other to our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, we can respond both in the pandemic and in, in this uh, these other developments um, by being conscious of, of each other's needs and to be expressive of our, our own needs, to give and to receive, right? Um, the help that we need to listen uh, and be in conversation with others, to, to seek to learn and understand anger and frustrations and pain, um, and to love, genuinely love, to see this person take the George Floyd thing for example, the man who put his knee on his neck and, and caused his death is made in God's image just as much as George Floyd is. 
And so we have to wrestle with the balance of loving both of them and longing for um, uh, justice and mercy and reconciliation with God. It's not easy. But the more that we remember that we were spiritually bankrupt, that we were dead in our sins, that we were stained with guilt, and then God, by his own choosing, in unmerited favor and in the richness of his love, sent his son to live a pure and spotless life, to die as a pure and spotless sacrifice, to pay the price for our sin and to rise in pure and spotless glory in order to present us pure and spotless before God as co-heirs of his kingdom. When we keep that in mind, we will, um, we will reflect more and more the character of this God who has shown us grace upon grace upon grace, and we don't deserve it at all. And he will enable us out of our love for him and our gratitude for what he's done for us and, and, and the fellowship that we have with him through the spirit to fulfill the royal law of loving our neighbor as ourselves, regardless of their social status, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of whether or not they've been exposed to COVID-19, regardless of whether or not they want to come to the, to the gathering next week or not. We see people as people made in God's image and in need of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.14 says, He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. In chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 21 and 22 says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, it's the desires of your heart. James says the same thing. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death, to present you holy, faultless, blameless before him. Dazzling, clean, in glory, clothed in Christ in his glory alone. Favoritism among men is incompatible with faith in Christ because it's incompatible with God's character and it's incompatible with God's law because those things cannot be separated because they are both found in God alone. So as followers of Christ who follow the greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, out of that love for him and out of that reminder daily of, our, our, of the grace that we've been given in him through Christ, let us be those who uh, love our neighbor as ourselves and who reflect the nature of God, the character of God, and the goodness of his law of freedom so that others will humbly receive it, the implanted word as they hear the gospel that we proclaim and they see it lived out, the hearing and the doing of our lives. And they come to know this God uh, who has loved them mercifully. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your great mercy that has triumphed over judgment. We thank you that you uh, regarding no merit of our own, have given us Christ's merit, far greater than anything that we could bring to you. We thank you, God, that we can come to you unstained, 
pure and spotless, that Christ will present us that way uh, at our glorious end of this life and the glorious beginning of the next. And we pray, Lord, that until then, we continue to persevere as those who um, humbly receive the implanted word and persevere in obedience to it, not because it's burdensome, but because we're free to, because you've written it on our hearts and you've given us your spirit who draws us near to you in love as we are uh, in our union with you through Christ and enables us to love what you love and follow what you've given us to follow. Lord, help us to see the opportunities this week that you've given us uh, and prepared for us the good works in advance that you've prepared for us to do in loving our neighbor as ourselves and reflecting the goodness of God through our obedience to you. We love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for how it continues to transform us. We pray for next week as we gather together. We pray for all the logistics of that, that you would be gracious and work those things out. We pray for a, uh, a spirit of gentleness and love and, um, and obedience to the royal law. Uh, as we come together and, uh, and treat each other with compassion and, and mercy, uh, whether or not we're in person or online. We love you and we thank you for this time and for uh, your, your abundant grace to us in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.